All right, so we have got a very exciting show today. Um, we are joined by none other than Jane West. Welcome. Would you like to tell us some more about yourself, Jane? Hi, yes, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm. This is my eighth year in the cannabis sector, um, and I love what you guys are putting out there on your podcast, and I'm thrilled that you guys are having me on. Yeah, we're really excited for you to be here, too. I know I already said that, but um, it's not often that we get to talk to people in the industry and that are as influential as you have been, and not only just people in the industry, but women in the industry. So this is like a big thing for me, and I know talking to even my coworkers, they were like, Jane West? What? <laughs> so you've your name is definitely very well known. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Jane, can you tell us uh, right off, uh, just really quick, where our listeners can find you online? Yes, definitely. So um, my website, janewest.com, is a good summary of everything we're doing. Uh, my social media's handles across the board are at the Jane West. And um, additionally, we I have Shop Jane West and Better With Jane. So really, go to janewest.com. You can learn out everything about everything we're doing there and uh, follow along. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about how it all started. Oh boy, where do I start? Okay, so my first step into the cannabis industry was with an events company, Edible Events, that I founded right at the dawn of adult use here in Colorado. I figured that once people could go into a dispensary and buy cannabis, they're going to want to use that socially and go out. And I believed at the time that social use and like social consumption lounges and cannabis social where, where, and festivals and events where cannabis consumption was permitted was inevitable and would already be happening for sure. Um, and I wanted to be one of the people leading the charge. And so I founded Edible Events Company really just to have like one event a night, one event a month for a year was the goal as soon as cannabis was legal in Colorado. So I planned out the event series and I started to build my network here in cannabis. The events were at private art galleries. There were chefs catering the food. There was live music. Um, it was on one Friday night a month and um, it went off um, incredibly. So much um, press and media attention came to the events because at the time, not only was I the only person doing what was trying to be mainstream events, but um, I was a woman and a leader in cannabis who was also a mom who was also unashamed and boldly a cannabis consumer. And um, press and media wanted to talk to me about that. And so at the time that I started this once a month event series, I had a full-time job. I had my master's degree in social work. I worked, ran experiential education programs for high school students. And um, this was just kind of like a passion project of mine, Edible Events was. Um, and so, but like I said, the press was super <laughs> into the event. And um, after just my second event, um, Harry Smith uh, featured one of my events on the five o'clock on, on, in his Marijuana in America special on CNBC. And Brian Williams featured my segment of his special on, um, on the five o'clock evening news to launch that show. And I was asked to resign from my job the next day. Oh. 
So this is on like week six of me starting this tiny little event project. Um, and so I found myself just three months in to entering the cannabis industry with the need to look for like a full time like that's just it. I'm in the cannabis industry now. I just, I just, I, I just lost my job. My events were starting to really take off though, and so I yeah. really dove into them at the time. And also the fact that I got fired for just holding a cannabis event, um, not even being a licensee or anything like that, like that absolutely became a news story as well. It was on the cover of the Denver Post. So I really started to put my energy behind the events, and I. And I formed a partnership with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, who was getting garnering a whole new audience with their Beethoven and Brews series and saw very progressively that cannabis and classical music obviously go together. Yeah. And so the fact that I formed this partnership with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra was also newsworthy. And uh, the New York Times wrote about it. And we had the UK Telegraph come and videotape a bunch of the events. And it was really promising. Um, and then on April 20th, 2014, exactly seven years ago, this 420, I was hosting a Waken Bacon Brunch at a, at a uh, private bakery. Uh, Sounds 75 like our kind guests. of party. I know, right? Oh my God, it was so good. See, because I really was, I mean, I am, my, my, I'm a dedicated event producer. So there was like chili rubbed bacon sticks and it was at a bakery. So like all these little mini tarts and mini croissants that were like hot were like coming out. And it was just, all the events were like, all you can eat and all you can smoke. People brought their own wheat cannabis, obviously, but we had a lounge they could smoke in. It was a beautiful sunny day and um, in the last hour of the event, an eight person SWAT team showed up. Oh. And um, I, I mean, us, there were eight, you know, officers all head to toe black, all with guns um, to put an end to the event. And Michael Hancock, the mayor of Denver, who has never been friendly to cannabis, was done with cannabis events and had spent, sent the special forces crew to put an end to every single advertised cannabis consumption event that was happening in Denver, Colorado in 2014. And as a result, I received criminal misdemeanor charges from the city. Um, they absolutely knew who I was and what I was doing and wanted to make sure that they criminalized what I had done so that I would be on probation. And if I helped, tried to hold another event, um, could face more severe consequences. And so, now I'm on month four of being in the cannabis industry. I no longer have the job that I had held for eight years. And um, my events are no longer economically viable because I cannot hold them anymore. Yeah. And so um, that, at that point in time um, was when I pivoted and really leveraged like my community building experience to found women grow. Um, my motivation for that at the time was that all of those news stories. First of all, this woman's hosting weed events. Then, oh, remember that woman that was hosting weed events? They fired her. Then, oh, now she's part of the Colorado Symphony Orchestra and there's gonna be an event at Red Rocks. Oh, no, now the city shut them down and sent a SWAT team to Red. <laughs> all of these news stories and, and the coverage I got, I had women from all over the world 
contacting me on the daily asking, how do I get in the cannabis industry? How I want to do, I want to work for you. I'll move there tomorrow. I want to own, I want to be a grower. I want to own my store. How do I do what you're doing? Um, and so I didn't have answers for them. Certainly I, I didn't have a job. I'm not a grower. I'm not a licensee. Um, and it didn't really look uh, to me like I knew what I was doing. So, um, so I really just went back to my uh, community organizing groups and I founded Women Grow because as I started to try to help these individual women in different states, like one in, in Pennsylvania, one in Illinois, one in Oregon, I learned very quickly that it's a state by state game. And I, mm-hmm. I can't help you, at, especially back in 2014, I can't help you at all. If you're in another state, you need to know what are your laws and who are your representatives and what's going to happen there and how do you get a license? And so the promise for Women Grow was to organize women on a state-by-state level so that they could connect with other women and interested people in their networks and start to build those businesses. Um, The most successful female-owned businesses and cannabis businesses in Colorado, um, like the farm in Boulder and Can Labs, it was a testing facility, and Julie's Granola and Sweetgrass Kitchen, all owned by women, um, they were, you know, those women really pointed to the other women in their network as a testament to, like, their support and their strength and their foundation for being here and keeping going. It is challenging. And so I wanted women in other states to have that as early as possible and also to have information. You know, as the cannabis sector started to explode, um, more and more walls were put up of information of how to get in and how to not get in. Everything started to become pay to play. Um, And there's just a lot of predatory um, different structures out there where excited, optimistic, idealistic entrepreneurs Um, we're getting sucked into these different schemes. And so, you know, the more information you have and the tighter your network was, it seemed um, the more successful these women's businesses were. And I wanted women into all these different states to have that. Um, So I dedicated myself to building Women Grow. I decided that I was gonna do it for one year. I was gonna work 100% on Women Grow for one year. And, um, and then by the, I thought, I figured that by the end of that, I'd have a better sense of where the industry was going, what I wanted to do next and what my real place in the sector would be. And candidly, I, I mean, I was hoping that by like 2016, 2017, then events would happen. Then social use clubs would occur. Then a hotel chain would decide that all of these certain hotels are like members only for 20 friendly, you know, I really did believe in my heart that social use and the rebirth of my event event based company would, would come back to life. And I hear now like tricklings of like different social use things, but I'm hoping that in order for a lot of these communities and, and cities to come back from the pandemic, that hopefully it starts push really pushing the barrier of social use and, and we really have to start to find places where co- people can come together and gather and drink and eat and have a coffee. I mean, all the social use places I'm learning about, there's, you know, there's always these crazy stipulations that, that don't make it the most accommodating space to gather. Um, yeah. So I'm getting a bit off topic, but um, yeah, so that was what led me to found Women Grow. And um, I actually ended up doing spending two years on Women Grow. The first year we really spent mainly just building the network and trying to find women leaders in every single state in cannabis or interested people that wanted to start chapters. 
um, we held a we held a national conferences where women came from all over the country and the world, Puerto Rico and Guam and uh, Mexico, um, Canada to, to see Denver. I mean, at that time in our, for our big first women grow national conference, we rented the opera house in downtown Denver. We made a space on the stage for women to come speak. We did these lightning round talks, like kind of Ted style. And um, women came from all over and they were able to really see like what adult use legalization looked like in Colorado because Colorado is a very accessible state. We have over 500 dispensaries and many, many, most of them are independently owned small businesses that Coloradans own. And so it was wonderful for all of these people from all over the world to come and be able to see that and to see what that's like and to take them to dispensaries, to just show them. I mean, the looks, I mean, glazed over giant smiles on their faces. <laughs> and we had like a, a circular shuttle bus that kept going from the hotel and the conference to the dispensary. And then they could all smoke, consume on the shuttle bus. And it was like the place to be. It was the greatest. It really was. And, and I think so many women that came into the sector at that time and made connections with those events still look back on that as this just like dawn of what they realized this could be. And then took that information and those ties and that positive feeling and support, you know, back to their states as they had to get their head back down and try to figure out how to get their own businesses off the ground. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've had an incredible journey and, um, you know, I... I say similarly, but not very similarly. I had started a company um, last year that we were trying to do like events with edibles and then the pandemic hit and that didn't really take off. So we pivoted to be like, let's do networking with women in Illinois cannabis. But we didn't see near the volume of success that you have seen with Women Grow. I mean, I I would honestly go and check the Women Grow website and be like, they have how many members? How much are they charging for a membership? And people are able to do that? Holy crap. Like, what is she doing over there? That is amazing. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I will lift the veil, though. So um, the goal of Women Grow was to be accessible. I, oh, I appreciate your efforts. This is a hard time to do this, especially because like I said earlier, there's so many people, I mean, there's more people trying to make money off of people trying to make money in the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And there are people making money in cannabis right now, I think. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of events popping up and it is a crowded space now. So part of it was that I was the only one doing it at the time, yeah. you know? Um, but additionally, we only had 50 members. Like the reason the business membership was expensive was because we wanted to be able to really dedicate our attention to those businesses. And so um, we had, there weren't like more than a hundred business members ever. Um, and then we were able to really like work with them and their teams to do, to get what they needed out of Women Grow as well. So, um, so it, I hope that provides you a little bit of intel. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so listeners that are interested, I just looked it up. If you want to learn more about women grow go to womengrow.com and uh they're on social media as well at women grow so yes and additionally if you are interested in getting connected with other people um other like-minded people in the cannabis sector you should start groups in your space too like you know there i think i think in some ways um we wait for 
this someone else to do it. Oh, well, I'd just go to that event if it was there. Oh, I would just do this thing if it was there. Why isn't there of this for that? And, mm-hmm. and you know, if there's anything I learned, it's because you have to go make it yourself and then it'll look like what you wanted. Um, and so I, I do think we need more people doing that in mass in order to really show um, regulators and, and, and everyone that there's this many people that are this um, dedicated to having cannabis consumption be legal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, with your ability to kind of face the challenges head on and, and push past them, um, I wanted to actually quote you on something that you wrote that um, really was really inspiring for me, especially today of all days, um, that just relates to struggling with being in the industry and struggling to find your space. And you wrote, at times I've struggled with the feeling that I was in way over my head, but as I worked through the struggles, I found that Jane West was stronger, smarter, and more powerful than the person I had been. And so it's really just amazing to me that you kind of created this identity, created this pseudonym for yourself within the cannabis space and really like, you know, you're harnessing power out of that. And I think that's amazing. Well, I appreciate that. Um, And there's a lot of space here for everyone. I feel like before everything happened with cannabis, I used to like this, that quote of like, what would you do if no one was watching? Like Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's who you really are. And then after that first step and then all the things that happened in such a short amount of time it felt like my mantra was instead what would you do if everyone was watching mm-hmm. <laughs> like and and then it just once you start find, having that momentum build and all the energy especially coming from women is that are we're just so excited to find their people and their place um there was just no going back yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you have any like advice for, this is something that I like to ask any women that we have on the show. Do you have any advice for women who are trying to just get started in the cannabis industry? Um, yes, I have lots of advice. And um, some of it's like hyper specific. And sometimes I also contradict myself with my advice. Um, I have to warn you. Um <laughs> The cannabis industry will never be as small as it is today. And I've been saying that for years and it's, it's still true. So I, I please do not get too caught up in the structures that exist because they're not built for you, especially, I mean, for women, for black and brown communities, for people that you don't see that owning all the businesses right now, uh, this was not built for you. And so don't get too caught up in, in what the structures that exist right now and do your best to, to see, envision the future of what it will be. Because there is such an audience out there that is growing. There's dedicated cannabis consumers going to dispensaries and buy. There's people buying the black market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those things. There are so many people who don't realize how uneducated they are about cannabis and they are going to flip. And then there's the, all the oncoming generations and like coming out of Colorado. Now we're seven years in to my, our kids, it's totally normal. Then there's places like Oklahoma that have gone so all in with cannabis that it is almost like familial. Like there are like family gatherings where like it's pretty normalized, you know? 
And so like, we are just at the dawn of this and don't let any of the structures that exist right now limit you in any way from what you think you want to do in the sector. Um, I definitely um, encourage um, you to, especially women, to think of yourself as your own brand. So even if you need to work at different, you know, corporate MSOs to just kind of like learn a little bit more about what's going on or, you know, start to like dip your toe into what's what's happening. Um, remember that people are going to remember you and this is about people. And so like, you are building your own personal brand and your own name in this space with everyone you meet and everything that you do. And keep that in mind um, as, as you go out there into the world working for different companies or working for different brands. Some of the most successful people that I know in the cannabis industry who aren't CEOs, who didn't necessarily start their own company that they run, but are, you know, have, have had various jobs over time and are expanding. You know, the thing I remember most about them is that I remembered them. I remember their, like, the, everything about them and the way they carried themselves and what they knew about cannabis and, and what they were creating in the world. So, you know, remember that, that even though you may be working for a company and, and have to go on different paths to get to where you want to be, um, people are going to remember you and, and focus on that. Um, as we get back into... Uh, Convention season, I, I have to recommend that like you're working when you are at a conference for yourself. Maybe you're working for your company or whatever, but like it ends up because there's so little social use and because we still don't have this like more like recreational lifestyle available to us as cannabis consumers, you know, above board. A lot of the conferences and, and, and gatherings do become kind of consumption events, which is great. That's great. That's cool. Um, but there's a lot of people in that circuit who are just there to do that. And if you're going to spend two hours talking to them at an event, I don't know where you're getting ahead on your career. So before you go into a cannabis event, once these open up again this year, next year, um, <laughs> Sorry, was it? Um, okay. before you go into a cannabis event whenever they open up again this year or next year um, write down a list of what you really want to accomplish what is your goal how many people are you talking to who what questions are you asking what answers are you looking for and get those business cards get those numbers and get home and enter them in to something a spreadsheet a notebook a system um, that is absolutely what I've done. I have created my own uh, customer relations management system and I have typed in myself with my own fingers, 2,500 different contacts. And it's how I got this far. And if you don't want to do that, fine. But know that, you know, what you're doing is like a fun passion project. And, mm -hmm. and that's great. Um, but if you're really looking to establish yourself and get ahead, you have to start building out your contacts and your network on your own. Yeah, I think that's great advice because, you know, I haven't been to very many cannabis conferences. I think, honestly, I've only been to one so far. Um, and I think going in there with the idea in your head of like, okay, I'm, I need to talk to at least 20 people while I'm here and I need, I want to learn about this, this, and this, and then, you know, keeping up with those people. I mean, once you put them into the CRM that you created, are you, um, 
like this could be even before women grow were you sending out newsletters or you know how are you keeping in contact with these people if you don't mind sharing your little industry no definitely story? no i still have my box one of these boxes is filled with business cards um that i joke about and you know honestly people even like i do this all the time still and so people often are like why are you doing that everybody knows who you are you don't and I, no i need to know who these people are too what it, that's, it doesn't just work one way um, I honestly, I have spreadsheets and I, I use pipe drives drive as my CRM system. I find it to be incredibly efficient, no matter whether I'm tracking media, I, I have one entire list just for media. So anyone that's like promo media podcast, and then I categorize them by state or international. And those are some of the individuals that, especially if you're really building a brand or you ever want someone to like write a story about you for what you're doing. Um, Watching these different cannabis journalists evolve over time and the different businesses they work for and then what they ended up doing, um, you know, you're tracking them as much as they're tracking you. Um, and then in other categories, there's the services. And so this depends on what exactly you're doing in the cannabis sector. But like there's lawyers, there's accountants, everyone in that in that realm as well um, that you just it's helpful to keep track of. And I always keep all the cards, though, because sometimes, you know, an Excel sheet just becomes like something you're scrolling through. But mm -hmm. when you keep the physical cards and I write on them with a Sharpie, I always have a Sharpie in my pocket at, at these conferences. When you write on the card, just a little note to yourself, that is what you remember. And even today, five years later, even I was like stoned out of my gourd at, on Friday night and I got this card from someone, I remember what I wrote on it. And I remember writing that. And I remember that person. Um, and so, and I think my only caveat to all of this is like, don't just go collecting business cards. The goal is to walk into the room and have that like, mag like magnetic feeling towards an individual, towards their aura, towards what they're doing. If they've like, if you like something that they've said or done, you know, like that it, it, it resonates with you. That's how you build a network that's like really supportive to you and also that you want to be supportive of. Um, because at the same time, you know, I've built this social media um, network and I use a lot of blocking too. Like I, I like being able to also not have certain people in my network. So it's not that every card I ever collected, I, it turned out being like a connection. Sometimes they were like, do not work with. <laughs> and you need to do that too, because you know, you're building your own business and you have to build your own fences as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. And, you know, kind of what I get out of that is definitely network, but gravitate towards the people that it feels natural for you yes. to want to talk to them. And don't be afraid to tell people no. Don't be afraid to be like, yeah, no, I I thought we had something good going there, but I don't think it's going to work out. So I'm just, yeah. I'm not going to contact you, but I'm going to hold on to this so that I know that I'm not going to contact you. Mm-hmm. Yep. I totally agree. I think it's helpful to just go in with a statement and a question. So like, what do you want people to remember about you? Have that practiced, but also, you know, the questions are important and, and they help you like realize how, how much you're in control when you're the one asking questions to people as well. So, yeah. and I really think that's especially important for women um, to just like have your own list of questions that you're, you're, presenting to people so that you yourself can evaluate their answers as opposed to just like having to be performative all the time. 
Yeah. Well, and like you say, you know, this industry isn't built for, you know, like there's a segment of the population that this industry is specifically not built for. And we'll talk about that in in relation to Illinois a little bit later. Um, But I think that gathering contacts and stuff, um, if you have a healthy and diverse network, um, if any of those roadblocks are put in front of you, some of those contacts you've amassed over, you know, your experiences could come and serve uh, as a lifeline almost for mm-hmm. you, you know. Definitely, definitely. So, I'm excited for you guys to start going to events. Cause yeah. You, yeah, um, that's going to be fun. I picture you in like a booth with like your microphones and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be super cool. I'm I'm just so excited uh, for like a return of nor- uh, normal, you know, we nice. used to know as life. <laughs> Getting on my first plane tomorrow, next week, so we'll see. Yeah. Oh. Can you still hear us? Yes. Sorry. Cool. <laughs> cool. I had to, uh, my, our mic started messing up, so I had to disconnect and reconnect. So, okay. um, when you first started getting when you first started with women grow was there a moment that you were like this this is something (laughs) oh that's a really good question um i had a lot of those moments and um honestly a lot of them came they usually came at a moment where i myself was fatigued by it like I still had two small kids. I, you know, like I was still trying to juggle a lot of things and learn what it's like to like run a business. I'd been an employee my entire life. Um, I've been had a, I'm from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I got my first job when I was 15. Um, and I have never been unemployed every, like every summer I had a job every, you know, and call all through college I had jobs. And, and so, um, having that like suddenly stop and then being like completely independent and having to figure out like how how would this work how how would i actually like build a business and and how does that you know happen it was exhausting and hard and 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 really challenging and there were a lot of moments where i wanted i was like okay i if i just keep stuck if i just stick with this for a little while longer i'll find a good job <laughs> i'll find a i'll find a good job where i will work once again work at a place um but that never happened thank god um anyways my to answer your question my moments would usually come where i was so fatigued that i was like i do not want to do this anymore I don't and but like the energy and the people around me and the people that worked for Women Grow and the people who wanted to work for Women Grow and everyone that showed up to the meetings, like there was so much energy every time. It was so obvious that this was so needed, this network and this community. And every time it would keep me going. And then when people say, honestly, like complimentary things, like you've said, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't like sleep at night, being you know, like giving up on something. It would make me get back up again and check the list again and send out the e-bite again and do the, you know, do the things because like this was real and people were really counting on having this opportunity to meet other women in cannabis and to get into the sector. And it was important, you know, to make that for them. Um, definitely. Um, as we started to build the women grow team and you know, I'm, I'm a big delegator. I, I don't, I believe in people, you know, running and operating their own ships. And so, um, as we built out women grow and people came and really 
exhibited all their professional skill sets on on it and you'd be like oh my god look at this thing she created oh my gosh look at these posters and look at these videos and look at this and look at that you know it was so motivating so um those were all the moments that really kept me going during that time because that was a challenging um it was a challenging role for me to be in um and it was hard to keep that many people happy um which and but you know we we stuck to it and in the second year i started to build the next generation of women grow and i worked with um hiller pc out of new york city which they're the most incredible law firm and they um they're the ones that took that federal legalization the federal case um all the way to the supreme court and um they helped me put a structure because of they believed in women grow too uh, they helped me put a structure in place to like actually have like the operating agreement for the company and a transition plan for me getting out and a way to leave the company, the employees. Um, so now women grow is 80% black female owned. Um, and, um, I'm super proud of what we had created. So yeah, so, those moments were hard. So before we talk about what came after or what, what you're doing after women grow, can we turn the page back, uh, turn back a few pages? Where did you grow up? Yes. Okay. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived in Wisconsin my whole life uh, until I was 21. I went, I went to Madison and um, I love Wisconsin. I really, really hope that they learn from um, some of the terrible policies that have been put in place in Illinois. And I hope they, they make some good decisions. It sounds like they're starting to think about it there. Um, I dream of like scummy weed in a dispensary in, in Milwaukee, which I know it's funny. Like it, it, I remember when we first started in 2014 people and actually now, right now, like we still have such a, I have such a big family and network there and people still are like, that's never going to happen. And you're like, no, wait, you don't understand. It's happening no matter what, yep. when and how. Um, and so, yeah, so I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm definitely a Midwesterner. Um, and uh, and then I moved out. Then I moved to New York City for a couple of years. Um, there I worked. I, I had a minor in international. I had my major in international relations, and so I worked um, at the United Nations. The United Nations Development Program was awesome, um, and I was working on a pretty big project there um, when 9/11 happened. And so since we were working with groups in Afghanistan and, and different refugee groups, uh, my entire program was closed. Um, but I had just met. This guy, I was kind of into him, <laughs> and uh, he was moving out to Denver, Colorado, to go to to go to grad school, and I totally fell for him. And so I moved out here too, and he's my husband now. And we both <laughs> went to grad school here in Denver, and um, that's how I ended up here. Nice, cool. So it's just it's the path that was meant for you. Almost, yeah. it seems very serendipitous. It does, right? Sometimes I now I see it all the time. I see like these different things and how it all came to be. But I think you have to get a bit older to do that. I should note that too. Like the the year I started this business, I was thirty eight. So anyone who's like, oh, I can never do it, or like, first of all, most people I talk to are like at least a decade younger than I am. I'm forty five this year, and um, second of all, you can all do it. Everyone can do it. That's one of the things about the cannabis sector that keeps me motivated to, to keep talking about 
encouraging people to start their own businesses and own their own businesses and fight for that and the right to do that is that like growing cannabis is actually not that hard. <laughs> like, right. it, 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 there's a skill to it. There's a lot of, you know, there's definitely a skill to it, but I've been on outdoor farms in Oregon. I've been in hot houses in South Dakota. I've been in these giant indoor grows that, you know, are not necessarily good for the environment in a lot of other places. There's a lot, I've been in people's basements. I've been, it's like, there's a lot of ways to do this. And it's a plant that grows um, just like basil or tomatoes. And I believe that the vast majority of people I talk to are completely capable of opening, of of growing cannabis. Um, And at the same time, a dispensary is a retail store. Um, And I have like, dozens of of contacts that are small business owners family-owned dispensaries what i'm seeing happen across canada is it just fills my heart with joy like we we offer jane west branded cannabis in five provinces of canada and i reach out to the dispensaries that carry my product there and it's like a husband wife team in a small town with a cute little store right on main street. And I, it, <laughs> it fills my heart with such joy that that is at least happening somewhere. Um, yeah. Because the only reason that it's not happening here is because regulators and States gave the pieces of paper to do it to people that aren't us, you know, mm-hmm. it, there's the only pe- people keeping you from not doing it is the government. So, um, seeing that happen and that evolve in Canada is like it, it, I look to Canada when I want, when I need like a little bit of like good, good, good feelings. <laughs> yeah. I totally understand that. It's, a, it is really nice to see, um, mom and pop cannabis shops, even if usually the state government is working pretty hard to get them out of there, but, mm-hmm. um, switching gears. So, I I know that you are no longer the CEO of Women Grow, correct? Yes. Also, notation, I was never the CEO of Women Grow because I didn't think I could be a CEO at the time. <laughs> like I I um I you know, I told you how crazy my 2014 was and so I founded Women Grow being like this needs to exist. Then I made myself the national events director and went and found other people that I thought (laughs) that that would be the CEO and the CFO and this and that. And that was good that I did that at the time. Absolutely. But it, I I definitely was self-limiting. Like I definitely believed, no, 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 I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I would never be able to do that. (laughs) Um, So yes. So I'm no longer um, involved in the day-to-day or in control of women grow in any way, um, which is great. I think, I think it's actually a testament to like build something that then exists on beyond you. Yeah. and I'm proud of that too, because it was fatiguing. And there were times I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so well, I'm gonna be like, they, they said we can't do it anymore. We're not doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, they, no, we kept it on. So yeah, so I closed, my last day of Women Grow was July, 2016. So that was basically five years ago this summer. And ever since that moment, I've been completely dedicated to building the most widely recognized cannabis brand in the world and creating products, meaning like home goods and accessories, meaning glassware, meaning bongs. I don't like to use the word paraphernalia. Paraphernalia is the the definition of the word paraphernalia is something useful in legal activity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are home goods and accessories. 
Um, but I decided to start, um, I had it when I first started planning the events, all I wanted was a bong bar and all I wanted in my bong bar was five bongs that were the same. And they all look pretty, just like glassware. You don't go into a restaurant and you're like, oh, which glass do I want to use, right? And I couldn't find five bongs that I liked in 2014. They were too big. They were, they were too this. They were too that. And so I had my own very distinct mindset of what I wanted out of my bongs and out of my glassware. And I wanted something that you would leave out or take, bring out for guests. I also, in planning the events, like wanted like bong racks and and joint holders and all the things that you would have once it's completely legal. So none of those products existed. And by 2016, like on year three into the industry, I still didn't see anybody making them. And so um, my, I dedicated myself to starting to build a company that actually makes these products for people. Um, and I just wasn't gonna stop until I did. And I st I'm still on that road. I'm still on that road um, today. Nice. Hell yeah. So, uh, so what is the brand? That's a great yeah. Um, well, we are the most widely recognized, uh, cannabis brand in the world. We have investors from 42 countries and every single U S state and territory. And I've created over 50 different unique products under the Jane West brand. Um, I would not have been able to t tell you what those 50 products were in, tw in, in 2016, when I started, yeah. um, in 2016, CBD was not a thing yet. So, you know, I, I, that like, we have a CBD vertical, um, my very, very favorite CBD products are CBD coffee. It's completely, I will never drink regular coffee again. Um, nice. I absolutely love the, the entourage effect of CBD and caffeine. I think we are, and it, it has convinced me that we are a way over caffeinated society. <laughs> and I, I think of all of my like friends in New York and we'd all be standing there like, like, I'm so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. And we're like drinking like triple lattes. Like, what are we doing? Like we're <laughs> pumping this, you know, caffeine into our bodies. Um, so I love CBD coffee. I have a CBD topical, um, that's made well, this amazing woman-owned company in Vermont, Elmore Mountain Therapeutics. Um, they make my topical. Um, and then now, I mean, I would have never said this in, in back then too, but like we have a, a consumable hemp line as well. Like wow. smokable hemp is, is absolutely um, something that the, our customers demand and want. And when I started to see smokable hemp come to the market, I, I was, I honestly, at the time was like, what is this? Like, they, like they're smoking <laughs> the hemp now. Um, and then sometimes I'm like, how is that? They were not, don't. But I really, I realized like I, we got such incredible, um, I just got really good feedback about smokable hemp from women in my network that I totally trust. And so we worked closely mm -hmm. with um, a grower here in Colorado on the Western Slope and Palisades where all the peaches are grown and really hand selected a day hemp and a night hemp for its, its, its like qualities and its smell and its taste. And then we created blends to go with them because um, the hemp, smoking hemp was not, like I wanted to add other flavors and an entourage effect of other smokables in there. So we have a hemp, blend that comes in mini joints and a tin for roll your own. Um, those are our CBD products right now. Um, then, and, and what I love about having the CBD line and why a lot of cannabis companies have their own little CBD line 
is that you're able to more like mass market it and you're able to, you know, get your product out there. So I'm advancing the brand into all these prohibition states when I can sell Jane West joints, uh, but they're just hemp and not cannabis. So that was what motiv- like, yeah. motivated me to, to really dive into hemp in 2018. Um, when it comes to actual cannabis consumption accessories, um, I had an entire glassware line that um, my first collaboration with was with an Austin-based company, and we made um, five different products, a bong, a bubbler, a steamroller, which I love steamrollers, and there yeah. are enough steamrollers out there, and steamrollers are such great consumption yeah. devices for new consumers where you can like have an oversized carb and really control the smoke, um, so I really wanted to have a steamroller. Yeah. Um, we have a, also have a spoon and a taster. Um, I designed those to be in oh, to be opaque, and that was very purposeful at the beginning. I wanted them to never look dirty. <laughs> now, really, ah, you see. should just be cleaning your glassware every day. I don't know how many of you like drink wine and then yeah. put it back, or, or or drink wine and then put the glass <laughs> under your bed in a box. But, um, right. You know, really, we should be cleaning our glassware every day, like we clean everything else, but since that's really not uh, typical of cannabis consumption and there is like debris and whatnot and consuming combustibles, I wanted the glassware to be, my first glassware line to be opaque so that you could, it, it would never look dirty no matter what. And so the first one was cobalt, a deep cobalt blue. And the second one um, was a, a, a cloud. Um, I couldn't find any white bongs when I first wanted to make bongs for the events. Mm. And they're really like so much in our yeah. home is white. It's ceramics and plates and things yeah. like just plain white. That's what looks right in anywhere you put it. And so um, I'm gonna get my, oh here it is. It's right here. my white one. See, it's my white one. And so you know it oh, nice. it worked and, and like no matter what I was wearing, no matter what my house looked like, no matter what anything was, it would just look completely normal. Also, the bong was specifically yeah. designed to be shorter than a wine bottle or champagne bottle so that it would look like more normal, like on a tablescape next to things and not like completely obnoxious. Um, but mm. really most importantly, even though I'm still kind of known for my tiny bongs or my mini bongs, um, a bong should have the same amount of air capacity as your lungs. And if it's bigger yeah. than that, we just know you're not gonna be able to inhale it all. And so actually when the bong is the size of your lung capacity, um, that's when you get the densest hit of smoke because um, you're not you know, dissipating the air or diluting it in a giant three foot bong. Um, can our folks get a visual of what your uh, yes. water pieces look like at the janewest.com? Yes, Is that what you can look at, at all of my bongs on janewest.com? Yes. And Perfect. Can- I want to make sure because folks are listening right now. Definitely I want to make sure see, that right. they can see it. Um, yeah, so. so, um, so the first glassware line, um, went really well, but it was a collaboration. So I didn't have a lot of control over manufacturing distribution, um, production numbers. And so, um, so I knew that I would eventually move forward with some, a line that's more accessible. Cause my first line was also very expensive. Like mm-hmm. we made absolutely no, um, we, 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 we made no, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the word. Um, we, we made some expensive, amazing pieces with built-in downstems and hand-finished glass at the top and the bottom. And, um, and they really, they're beautiful and they're exquisite. But at this point, I, I'm really dedicated to bringing a glass line to market that's very accessible 
that people can purchase mm -hmm. and 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 have multiple pieces in their home and um as as the new generation of cannabis consumers come out i, I just want something i my, i'm really excited about my new line so my what i love about it is that it's transparent so this is the first time that i've made a glassware line where you can see the smoke inside which is also super cool nice. right you know that Hell yeah! Awesome. I love seeing it. I call it milking. Totally, it. I love yes. seeing it milk. Yes. It. Oh yeah. yes, and you let it's like milk glass. Yes, and so um so my new glassware line is really a nod to the twenties. Um, I've named it the twenties. It's I've kind of dubbed it that. I don't know if we're officially gonna make it like the twenties line. Um, but sure. I really love everything that that encompasses because um as it it has a, a textured pattern on it. It's transparent. We're going to be making a water pipe and a hand pipe and a matching ashtray because nobody is making ashtrays. Nice. And I need, I mean, I have all these vintage ashtrays around my home. And, um, and I really wanted to design an ashtray just for joints, um, which is, mm -hmm. which I believe we did. Like I spent a lot of time um, working on, on the ashtray design in particular. And um, it has this nice wide rim where your joints will be able to rest um, horizontally so that um, they go out just right. Um, and so I'm excited about that. So we have a new glass line coming to market this year. Um, that's in partnership with High Tide. Um, it's one of the most dominant Canadian cannabis companies. They also own Canna Cabana, which has more stores open than anyone else in Canada. Um, they also make all of Snoop Dogg's Pounds glassware line. So um, mm -hmm. closing that deal was a really, really big deal for me as it like put me in the same level of like a licensed brand as Snoop Dogg and the Trailer Park Boys and James and the Bob and um, and as I list off all these male names, it's great that also there's some women designing these products too. Um, and so that's all coming to market this summer. I'm gonna get the first samples here at my house at the end of this month, about a week after 420, and I can't wait. Um, I also designed a line of dugouts and one hitters, and um, that's that kind of tells a different part of my story as well. Um, the glassware line was a collaboration, so I didn't have to put up a lot of capital to get to bring it to, to fruition. But I did de design a line of dugouts and one hitters that um, fit seamlessly into your life, especially as a woman. They look completely natural in your purse right next to everything else you have. Um, they're perfect for on the go cannabis consumption. The pipe is designed for exactly two puffs um, and it like is a compact, literally it's called the compact. Um, mm -hmm. This is a line of dugout and one hitters that I envisioned in 2017. I brought it to market with a designer in 2018. Um, we've created and manufactured 40,000 units of the travel collection um, and are down to like actually our last thousand. Um, we're about to start creating um, the next version of them. And in order to do that though, I needed to raise money. So we've been talking all this time about all these things that we did, but I did most, I did all of that bootstrapping. And now for, to raise money starting in 2018, I needed to figure out how that all worked at all. Um, right. And I think that's something that a lot of cannabis um, companies are facing right now, or will always be facing. Actually, anyone, you know, starting small businesses are gonna have to deal um, with raising money if you don't come into it like generationally wealthy. And so um, that's what led me to equity crowdfunding I currently have an equity crowdfunding round happening right now on Republic, which is part of AngelList. And um, equity crowdfunding has been something that's been so integral to my brand. Um, 
like I said, we, we have investors now from 40 countries, 40 plus countries, um, 3000 plus investors, every single US state and territory. Damn. Um, and what I love most about what we did with equity crowdfunding is that I'm able to avoid the entire VC world. And it, um, cause my experience in raising money from VCs was like the least welcoming, least supportive environment I had ever been stepped into. Um, and it was a game that I'm was not interested in really playing. The game board is not built for me or anyone that, you know, doesn't have a lot of experience in it or doesn't have a lot of money to throw around. And, um, and so I, I hope that what I'm doing with equity crowdfunding, what a handful of other cannabis businesses have done with it and the future of this, of, of, of being able to raise money from the crowd for your business, um, really starts, really starts to be able to fuel growth in cannabis businesses that are having a hard time um, finding funding. Gotcha. <laughs> well, um, I have uh, some questions uh, about some things that I read about you online. Um, but yes. Justine, do you have anything before we segue to, we'll also talk about Illinois cannabis, of course, for our Illinois listeners. Mm -hmm. um, should I talk to you or your husband about the fact that at one point you had on quote the best sex in your entire marriage? I'm joking. I'm not going to ask you about that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the time you smoked a blunt with Snoop Dogg and apparently you smoked a few joints with Willie and Annie Nelson. Holy yes! fuck. All of that is true. <laughs> yeah. Tell it. Can you tell us just a, like quick uh, about those okay. two experiences? Or? Well, first of all, well, do you want me to answer the sex question though? Because I do think that like, I think that cannabis and sex is going to be a huge topic coming up in the future. And in many, many reasons, because like a lot of women are getting off different antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds with cannabis. And then they're also finding, and which we know that those medications really like hinder your sex drive and libido. And then on top of that, we know how enhancing cannabis is. To so hold on, Jane. What? They're getting off of the antidepressants and then they're getting off with cannabis. Yes, yes. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> sorry that is true no absolutely let's talk let's talk about that i used it as a lame joke but let's no, talk but there, about there's, it there's a hashtag in there somewhere Get off. <laughs> uh, it's true though you know like it absolutely once once I, i've attended a bunch of different like sex events within cannabis and i know there's a lot of women that that's all they do like their their whole brand and everything they're building is just about sex and cannabis mm -hmm. and it's true you know and then on top of that it, alcohol is just such an inebriating and dulling substance. And once you start to like put that to the side and drink your soda waters and use all different forms of cannabis all night long, uh, you can put it, you can put it on, you can put it on top of your skin. You can put it in your stomach. You can put it in your lungs. Um, and people have a whole lot of fun and they're going to have a lot more fun, which I'm excited about. I do think that this will like trigger I'm excited about the twenties. So, and I think that will actually play a big role in it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely have had some really unique opportunities and been able to meet a lot of incredible people in the cannabis space. Um, I love Willie Nelson and his team. Um, Annie Nelson came to the first women grow summit that I talked about earlier um, in the, in this podcast. And that was how I met her as her and Willie were starting their brand. And so um, 
I just, wow. I, they're just such a wonderful family and um, everything that he's building with his growers and, and with the Willie's reserve brand. I just like, I mean, I watched that. They're like a comp that I watch to see what they're doing next, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, I have met Snoop Dogg. I'm, I'm going to LA next week to support some of his other efforts there for 420. And, um, and now we're both making glassware from the same company. So um, he's definitely one of the like figure, father figures of the cannabis space, I would say. Absolutely. That's well, if nuts. you get, so if you get connected to Snoop Dogg through using mm-hmm. the same glass people, does that mm-hmm. mean that you've hung out with the trailer park boys too? No, I haven't yet. But they, <laughs> well, there, I haven't yet, but that's on my list. That's definitely on my list. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I saw that you stopped watching TV. I did stop watching TV. Well, I never really watched TV. Okay. It, right after I had my kids, I like that was kind of the end of it. Like You don't even Netflix and chill? You don't no. just no? Well, okay, this is not true. I watch Marvel. Okay. <laughs> Anything Marvel? Bob's Burgers. Hey, nice. And Japanese anime, One Piece. These are the things that we do in this house. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my kids are now 13 and 10 and like they're both boys and any time I can spend with them, like snuggling on the couch, I want to do. And they, you know, they wouldn't want to watch whatever I would want to watch, even if I wanted to watch something. Now I, I just, I'm convinced that like after I exit or after, after something in my life, then I'll like, I guess I'll start watching TV again. But yeah. Um, so I read you met then Congressman Nancy Pelosi. Of course, she's the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Now that's what's that? Yes. Congresswoman. Congresswoman. She I'm sorry. Is, uh, so tiny for really? such an incredible force of nature. I mean, she is. She is. She's the bomb. She's got a, a bunch of kids and a whole huge family and runs. How many? How many joints did you smoke with her? <laughs> I'm joking. That'd You're be right. so awesome. Yes. I'm just you know, saying. I don't. I do not see. I see her being more of a topical lady, maybe. Okay. Maybe yeah. Topical on her or something. Maybe a patch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um. One of the exciting uh on the politics side, you know, um, Jared Polis is now the governor of Colorado. But when I started in the sector, you know, he he was in representatives and and like I he really has been just such an incredible backer of cannabis and cannabis legalization here and just did a huge expungement um, process here. And now, even though the sector here is accessible, to be clear, like you can start a cannabis business, it still is challenging for Mm -hmm. those that don't traditionally have access to capital. And so he's also launching programs right now here in Colorado to further push that as well um, to get more diverse ownership in the sector. So um, Jared Polis, I love him. To, I love him, and I really, really hope that he has even bigger um, political aspirations. Um, but yeah, a lot of politicians came through Colorado um, back in the day, and uh, I got and I, when we were doing Women Grow Lobby Days, I met, I got to meet Elizabeth Warren, and that was definitely wow. awesome. Um, and um, yeah, you know, actually, you asked a question. Uh, you asked a question earlier about Women Grow Lobby Days, and. Uh, and you know, you asked a question earlier, like, was there a moment that you realized, like, oh my gosh, this is the thing? Uh-huh. So, so we were gonna do lobby days in 2015, and we we're just gonna have like 12 of us go. We're like, okay, let's go. We'll just find the most important people and we'll lobby them. 
And it was almost an afterthought that we were like, you know what, we should, let's just email all the people that signed up on that thing and just tell them we're doing this. Maybe a few of them will come, maybe, you know, we'll have lunch with, we weren't even thinking it that big. We sent out the form to about a couple hundred people that had signed up on the Women Grow site and we had like a 48% return rate and a hundred women from all over the country came to Women Grow Lobby Days. And that actually was the moment that I was like, oh my God, this yeah, is- this is, we, this is something. We sent out one newsletter. Like, I mean, it's not, you know, that was one of the moments I was like, wow, these people traveled here. We need a room block. We need, a, <laughs> we need, a, we need, a, we need like, you know, food and beverage now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, anyways, so yeah, it's been, I think that's just going to happen more and more. One of the things that has been frustrating to me to see though, is the complete lack of female celebrity like that I, you know, these, you know, celebrities are consuming cannabis. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wish by now we were seeing more and more of them do it openly so that everyday people felt comfortable doing it normally. Like I kind of, I dream of like celebrities in that page of like us weekly where it's like, they're just like us. Yeah. They go to the grocery store. They smoke a joint in the park. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of these celebrities have different morality clauses and they're worried and they keep it under wraps. And um, hopefully as social use and other things start, start those barriers start breaking, we get more and more um, everyday people coming out and admitting that, you know, they love cannabis and cannabis is a key point of their life. And um, yeah, I have got, I got a chip on, people always say that I'm, from the beginning people have been like i'm the martha stewart of marijuana mm -hmm. but i've seen that martha yeah. stewart doesn't smoke marijuana and she kind of side eyes people that do like she yeah. shuns consuming she doesn't say she does and she doesn't say it's okay um now that she's throwing her hat in the cannabis ring i think it's interesting so i hope we have more and more faces representing cannabis that actually put a joint up to their lips yeah yeah, it'd be amazing to see because I don't th that like a lot of the CEOs of these MSOs, which this is a different topic that we can get to, but I don't think any of them actually consume cannabis. But I saw that you wrote, uh, well, first of all, you started sleeping fewer than six hours a night. Um, you wrote the foreword to um, the Cannabis Kitchen Cookbook. Yes, Robin Griggs Lawrence cookbook. It's such a good book. Yeah, so folks, check that out if you want a really good uh, cannabis cookbook. It, like I said, it's the Cannabis Kitchen Cookbook. Feel good food for home cooks. Uh, super cool. We love making edibles at home, right, Justine? Yeah. All right, so um, I think that's yeah, all. Edibles at home is remarkably easy. And even when I started reading that book, because she published that book in 2016, I was like, what? people aren't going to do that. And like, really, you know, the process of um, extracting cannabis from home grow is something that is extremely simple and can be done with a crock pot uh, very oh, yeah. efficiently and effectively and repetitively and methodically. And then you take that oil and pour it into an ice tray and now you have it measured out. And uh, once I saw women doing this and, and crafting it themselves, I realized like how accessible it could be. And it's much cheaper than purchasing the infused products from a dispensary. Yeah, especially if you're in Illinois, where apparently they're getting $90 for an eighth. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's that's what we do here in Illinois. So yep. I feel like that's uh, 
maybe a good segue uh, to start talking about Illinois. I know you've got some thoughts. I mean, what are what are your thoughts? I guess of the coverage of uh, and, and kind of what's been going on in Illinois cannabis. I guess we'll just start off at a high level, and yes. maybe we can go at granular. Well, um, I have a unique perspective here because you know I knew these guys that run Cresco and GTI and Verano. Like I was there alongside them in 2015, 2016. And, um, and I remember at the time, um, especially coming from Colorado where there's thousands of business owners, thousands of cultivators, hundreds, hundreds of retailers, thousands of cultivators yep. in the state of Colorado that whose population is like half of, of, uh, Illinois. Um, when I first started to see the legalization roll out in Illinois, I it didn't make sense to me. Like the numbers were way too low. I I, I couldn't I was couldn't understand how this this few number of people would possibly have licenses. Um, <clears throat> and I remember being at different events and and seeing Cresco and GTI pitch and talk about their companies. And, and it was the first time I even heard about the concept of a limited license market. Like, mm -hmm. that's not what Colorado is. That's not Cal what California is. And, you know, Washington State has its own challenges, but it's there's not a spe specified super small number of licenses being given out. Right. And I remember at the time, now I know naively, thinking, oh, there is no way that's going to happen. Like, who do these guys think they are? Only, tw only 20 when cultivators are ever gonna are gonna exist there and they right. get to run the whole thing and control all the supply and and i i mean i obviously was naively especially since you know as you i'm sure know a bunch of them have two licenses gti yep. got three to start and then they yep. like you know so um so that's and even no like, limit that's less than 21. yeah and so yeah and no limit on square footage versus when they when slash if it seems like it's it seems like the question is both because they've been taking so long we're approaching a year now that they should have uh, sure. released craft grow yeah. licenses um the thing about the craft grows like we've talked about in the past on the show you start with five thousand square feet folks that want to like actually research this i always like to cite my sources look up um, craft growing license cannabis industry lawyer and our friend tom howard has a really good write-up on like the requirements and stuff like that with regard to it. But the point is we've talked to a lot of different craft growers and you basically, it's impossible to scale up, you know, and actually be make profitable money. And yeah. it's just sad, you know? No, it is. Um, well, because also like from what I can understand, it's basically sharecropping. Like yeah. if you don't control the markets where your product is sold, then and you like you ha they're completely reliant on retailers um to get their products to market and so like what are you doing like you, you it, it's just very i don't mean what are you doing i understand absolutely why someone would want to work own their own cannabis business and have mm -hmm. their own craft grow but it's just it was defined in such a limiting man it it's unquestionably limiting it's yeah. unqu and also like all of this was just made up six years ago. The right. idea that so many people agree that what happened isn't what was supposed to be, this isn't how it was supposed to go. 
Like, it seems far too easy to simply change it at right. a zero, make it 50,000. We know that you don't have enough supply to begin with. Um, the changes that could be being made with the stroke of a pen by Governor Pritzker to affect change on an ineffective regulatory system mm -hmm. aren't happening. Instead, you know, we all know everything turns into like lawsuits and gets delayed. They know how to put things off and that's what's happening. Um, which makes the whole story even sadder. Like right. when I came to Illinois, um, in uh 2019 and and i was told oh no 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 it's all about to happen i was like well there no women own anything no there's there's no none of the black and brown people in this room at this networking event own a single thing like and then i was told oh no it's gonna happen it's gonna happen that's all happening next year don't worry don't worry and it hasn't happened and yeah. so to me, I, I just have this pretty jaded view because I think back to what I heard the leadership at these big MSOs say they were going to set out to do when they were pitching to investors back in the day. And coincidentally, that's exactly what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I, I think, like you say, it's no coincidence that going into adult use legalization, they were saying... Hey, so Normal released uh, a demand study that basically said that Illinois was woefully under underprepared. The infrastructure would, was not enough to supply anybody, and there was just going to be problems. You know, they were spelling out yeah. exactly what we've seen. And yeah. Pamela Altoff and the Marijuana Business Association folks, Google Pamela Altoff, you'll see who she yeah. is with. I think that's. I think I'm right in saying that. And I think I'm right in saying that in the past, Pamela has a she she was a politician, and she actually has a history of um, being anti-cannabis. So I'm not saying people can't change, but I just I like to bring things like that up. Yes. Uh, and so they uh, produced a study that basically uh, disagreed with Normal's study and said no, the current license license holders can, uh, you know, are going to be fine. Everything will be basically kind of putting to rest everything that normal was trying to warn us right. about. And, um, I, I remember hearing statements of saying like, we don't think licenses should be awarded for like over a year. Like we should be able to have exclusive rights on this market. Yeah. And what have we seen? They have exactly that. I always like to bring that up. So, Absolutely. um, did you no, read uh, from our friends at Grown In about some of the investigations they did uh, on emails they pulled and everything else from the contractor that scored the applications? I try my best to. I, I am. I'm so so grateful and appreciative to finally see um, journalists and people like Grown In coming into the space. I, I, yeah. I do want to just take a moment to comment on that because. Um, one of the issue, one of the biggest issues I have with cannabis right now is that these are these are all for-profit media companies. MJ Biz and all these other entities, they are for-profit companies that benefit from the sponsorship of big businesses and have staff writers, not mm -hmm. journalists. And so, and, and they're the ones pumping out information and, and framing it and shaping it and saying what is good and what is not. 
and reposting people's press releases without even editing them. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to comment that like when I started reading coverage from Gronin and Tom Shuba and it was so like, it filled my heart with joy that someone else was seeing this the way I was. So, um, no, I didn't see, I didn't read all of, wait, what was the, the original question was. Oh yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, every day, every week it's a new thing they find. Right. It was just crazy to me just to give a quick recap of it that, you know, we gave KPMG a non-bid contract, which eventually cost the state $4.2 million and KPMG outsourced the bulk of the work to a Florida company for $700,000 and uh, licensees had to put like their applications and stuff on flash drives, which ended up failing. I did read this. Yeah. Once you start reading it, you're like, how? Keep going. Sorry, keep going. No, no, that, exactly. You you were saying, I was pretty much done there, like, how? You know, like, we've got this crazy technology. I've got this, yeah. you know, people can't see, but I've got, you know, a watch on my wrist that can connect to a satellite and they tell me exactly right. where I am and I can call my mom. You know, this is some futuristic shit and we are not taking advantage of fucking email. Why are we doing this in a flash drive? More importantly, also, as you start to take a, like, if you start to get that, like, so we have, I have partners that are licensed in 13 states. And so I Mm -hmm. understand, like, these different licensing processes. And at one point, you have to ask for, what is all these applications for? Right. Like, like in in places, in Oklahoma, you go down to the state building, you get a license in 48 hours. Mm -hmm. Then they come check on you to see if you did what you said you were going to do. You know, I mean, the, the entire, it's administrative racism is what I believe it is. It is putting as many barriers in place as they possibly can so they can be like, oh, sorry, the deadline didn't get passed or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all just more excuses to prevent competition in the market. Um, that, that's all every day that goes by now. I mean, we're going on a billion a year, plus, plus, plus. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was reported the other day that uh, Illinois has officially now brought in more tax dollars from cannabis than alcohol. Yes, yes, yes. Thank God. Honestly, I mean, that it's hard. It's I'm so caught about up in it because that information to me, I think that is a safer community. I think that is a safer state. I think that is healthier. Um, But the fact that all of that money is just going to a bunch of one percenters who got Mm -hmm. in early on the game and put in built a bunch of walls up to make sure no one else would. Yeah. And it like, you're already there. Now you're all publicly traded. Just like, let's just let other people compete and give them the same pieces of paper you got to do the same thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like it's that simple. It's going to take them months and months and months and months to even start to compete with you. By then, we're going to be at three billion. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I, the, my, my, my naivete towards this just keeps getting worse. I guess because a year ago, I was making posts saying they're going to make a billion dollars yeah. before a single woman or person of color owns anything. Yeah. And I was wrong. I and think it's just snowballing at this point. Because, yeah. like you say, like just because, let's say we, we, you know, it's a miracle day tomorrow, and we see all the licenses get awarded and all the announcements come out, yeah. right? Let's just hypothetically say that that happens. That doesn't mean that they're going to open up the door. That doesn't mean they're going to have product to sell. They still have to yeah. pop seeds. They still have to, you know, yeah. prep the building, pass. Uh, all the, yes. Uh, 
like they probably have to get check checking in with zoning if they've not done that yet. There's probably some state uh, walkthroughs you have to do, yes. insurance, People all that. People are gonna yeah. fail. Investors are gonna leave. Banks shop. They're gonna get closed. Like yep. there's there's still what's so sad to me is that like the rest of the people don't even you know I've, I recently read um, one of the MSOs representatives Wendy Berger talking about how like oh we're just in the third inning here in Illinois. Yeah. And so like, we're just getting started. So it's okay that other people don't have access, but like, you know, they're any, they haven't even gotten their uniforms yet. They don't even know what team they're on. They're not even like at spring training. Like, I don't know what you're talking about with these like court euphemisms, but like, it doesn't make sense. It's not fair. So I, yeah. and it bothers me. And, and then it bothered me for a very long time on the inside. And because I wasn't there and I couldn't, like I wasn't sure about what I was seeing, um, but then like, seeing, you know, hearing your coverage, seeing what you're sharing, seeing the social equity groups that are springing up that are really fighting for it, mm -hmm. um, and and seeing like reporters and grown in does like start to give me a little bit more hope. I mean, I was really, I was really, I really believed that Illinois was going to be a place where women in cannabis thrived where women owned cannabis businesses um you know like i i started women grow in 2014 and that was at the same time that illinois women in cannabis started and like you know i like i said like i my master's degree in social work i was brand new to the industry i really didn't know exactly what i was doing at the time mm -hmm. and um you know illinois women in cannabis is just such, such a powerhouse team like you know the whole most of their staff um, or, you know, full-time employees of MSOs, Cresco or GTI. And, you know, the, they've been able, the Dina Roman, she's the senior VP of government regulation. So like that is someone that absolutely, you know, understands like the licensing process, the lobbying process, like how to actually, you know, get into the game. And, you know, the, the, the family ties with Vanessa Bechtel, the Charlie's sister, who also co-founded it. And then um, Wendy Berger, who's I've seen on all these panels and, you know, and supports women in business and has raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for GTI. And then to see how much those those businesses, Cresco and GTI especially, have grown in those six years with like now they're in over a dozen states and. 50 plus stores and, 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 and the, and the billions sold, um, to, to see that, that all of that like influence and, and money and power somehow hasn't been able to result in having a, like a single woman own a cannabis license. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it's disheartening to, to realize that like, that's how, like, I, it may, I, I wish I had more answers for the women of Illinois and other limited licensing states who come to me wanting to know how do I how do I own my own cannabis business? Mm -hmm. um, because you know without women actually owning it, there's you're not there's no glass ceiling being broke. Yeah, like you're still you know a subordinate at a company if you, if you're if you're you're just an employee. So I really want to see more women owning cannabis business licenses, owning cannabis businesses. And I, I did hope that Illinois was going to be one of those locations where we saw that early on and we saw like a modeling that like women can own these businesses too. 
Um, so hopefully with this next, hopefully in the next couple of years, maybe we see yeah. some of that. Um, because also like women that I want to, I want to hear from those women. The, yeah. the, the, you know, like I, I, like I said earlier, like I have that, pr this pressure that I feel all the time to model successful businesses and answer the questions and take your podcast and do all the things. And I, I wish there were just more women business owners mm -hmm. that could also take these podcast spots and speak to about what it's like to be a women business owner in the cannabis industry and not just, you know, someone who attended a job fair, or, you know, a resume workshop and, and, and all that's great, you know, and it's important to have like female employees, of course, but I just really, really hope that by the end of this decade, um, in the next six years, hopefully we find a way to have like just more diverse ownership. That's what really matters. Absolutely. Well said. Well, um, any final thoughts on, on Illinois cannabis? Mm. I can't, I don't know. My only bumper sticker I can think of for Illinois cannabis is I can't believe this shit is still happening. <laughs> that's all I can think of right now. That's all I can think of right now. Cause that's all I think of every time I'm like, this is still happening. They still yeah. don't have licenses. So that's like, crazy. that's it. That's my, that's my bumper sticker. And, and, and when I can cover that bumper sticker with Illinois cannabis available to everyone, <laughs> then I will, but you know, there's a reason we're still all complaining about this. There's people like, like even my neighbors who like don't even know anything about cannabis are like, oh, are you still like stuck on that Illinois thing? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. no one owns it even yet still. So um, I just hope that continuing to talk about the fact that this is unacceptable will hopefully lead to change. Well, one of these days when Illinois open, you know, hopefully what you're shooting for happens. And then that day you can start to get eight hours of sleep instead of six hours of sleep. So <laughs> um, just jokes aside, um, can you remind our folks where they can find you online uh, as we close today's show? Yes, absolutely. Um, you can follow me and all of my channels by going to janewest.com. That's also where we have a list, a complete listing of all of our products. Um, all of my social media handles are at the Jane West. And I also encourage you to follow Women Grow and look for local uh, women's groups in your area and get connected um, to the women of cannabis where you live. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. This was really meaningful and um, I'm really excited to show this episode to other people, especially because I work in the cannabis industry and I work around a lot of women. And so anytime we have a guest on that is especially inspirational, I always forward that along. So thank you for your time. Thank yeah. you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for having me for all this long time. And, uh, and I'm really just, I really appreciate your platform and the fact that you're working to showcase all these alternative ways of looking at the sector. It's really important. So thank you. For sure.